Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Wednesday, March 7th, and today we are reading in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are at page 34, that second paragraph. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, Deb W., Rachel N.M., Hoodie R., Deborah L., Jen M. The reference numbers for yesterday, March 6, are 11,125. That's the 7 a.m. meeting. And the 10 a.m. meeting from yesterday is 11,127. So that's 11,125 for 7 a.m. and 11,127 for 10 a.m. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through the through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Deborah L. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Deborah. This is Deborah L. in New York, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deborah L. I will now ask for Jen M. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Jen. Good morning. This is Jen M., compulsive overeater from Iowa. And the 12 traditions of OA, number one, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Number four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the overeaters who still suffer. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service today, and with that, I will pass. Thank you, Jen. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, please, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 34, that second paragraph, starting with those who are unable to drink moderately. And I will ask Deb W. to get us started. Go ahead, Deb. Good morning. This is Deb W., recovered in Oklahoma. Recovered compulsive eater. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible This is the baffling feature of the alcoholism, of alcoholism as we know it. 
This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And uh, that is so, so true of those of us who are real compulsive eater, or let's just say of this compulsive eater. Um, You know, I, uh, at what point is it that I was no longer able to um, say no, you know, to a food, um, you know, or to an amount that I was eating? And, you know, I think the thought process of a compulsive eater, uh, such as myself, it started even before that. It started long ago. I remember when I was a little girl and and I had this this desire to keep eating, to have more of this particular food, to steal this particular food. When my brothers, they ate it and they went on about, you know, their life. But at that time, I could eventually just say no. I didn't have the physical uh, uh, that showed that I was, you know, overweight. And I, you know, I was skinny and tall and I could get away with it. But, you know, sooner or later, it was no longer that game, you know, that I could play and have eat all I want. And me and my family, we just laugh about how full we are and uh, go into all-you-can-eat places. Um, It kind of reminds me when uh, Bill W. in in the big book is saying that it was something like this. It it was no longer a sport. It became a necessity. And and I remember, uh, you know, back on having several diets that, you know, were at the time they called them candy aids, and I started out. You were supposed to have a couple of them, and then you know, and a drink, and and they were supposed to curb the appetite. Well, I could eat a box of them, and what would I do? I would go get another box, and uh, but you know, as I got older, the need to have something to ease the discomfort seems to be it that it increased. And the craving increased, and and I was just writing a few things down. What do I what do I notice when you know the, when the food and the uh, compulsion has really set in? And 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 one of the things is I notice neglect of myself and neglect of God and neglect of uh, you know care and uh, neglect of my children. And, uh, you know, I uh, remember uh, I I began to try to control what I eat. Uh, you know, I, begin to, I know I'm eating too much, so I'm trying to control. I'm just going to have this amount. I'm going to have half of this quart of ice cream, you know, and wind up eating the whole thing because my mind says, well, you might as well finish it. It's you know, you won't have any more of this tomorrow. But yet when I go into that grocery store, I go straight to the ice cream and forget totally about what I promised myself last night. Uh, no longer growing tired of the thing that I'm eating. You know, the more I eat, the more I want, you know, like the normal person. Uh, no longer eating and don't think about it. You know, I could eat. I'm done with the meal. I get up. I walk away. You know, I'm not taken hostage. 
I don't have didn't don't have no strong uh, urges at one time, and and now there's strong urges if I eat the food that you know that I'm I'm I've developed an allergy to, you know, uh, I'm compromised even when I promise myself I'm not going to have this. I hear my mind telling me, well maybe it's okay, and I and I contemplate over it. I don't just eat it or don't eat it, I contemplate, well, you know, why not, et cetera, et cetera. And then I give in. And unable to just have one of whatever or two of whatever, I have to have the whole thing, you know. Needing time alone so that I can get myself together and unwind and winding up with some food that, you know, makes leaves me with disgust. And, and, and an awful and horrible feeling about myself and guilt and shame, you know. Um, thank you. And and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Mm-hmm. Okay, so who would like to share on what was read? Page 34, second paragraph, that one paragraph. Kim G. Rita Larry K. <clears throat> Melissa C. Okay. I've got Kim G, Reva P, Larry K, Melissa C. I think I missed a few people in the beginning. I just didn't hear your names. Could you come back, please? Sandy E. I heard a Sandy S, I believe. Tina S. And Tina S. Tina S. One, two, three. Okay, we're going to hold at those six first, please. Um, and Barbara, I did actually hear you, so I'll put you in the next group. Okay, Kim G, Reva P, Larry K, Melissa C, Sandy S, Tina S. Kim G, you are up, followed by Reva P. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Boy, some hard truths in here for alcoholic my type in here. So the words that are jumping out, unable to drink moderately, non-spiritual basis, lost the power of choice, a tremendous urge, baffling, other inability. You know, I, I'm thinking about some common calls that I, that I get. You know, I get co- common calls or some like, you know, well, my, I had a slip. My food is sloppy. It's, I'm not binging, but, you know, I'm just going to move on. I mean, that totally goes in the face of unable to drink moderately. You know, I think of it talks, you know, another common call is, you know, the frustration that they have because they're so miserable, but they're working their program really hard. And I'll often ask, well, what does that mean, working your program? And they tell me how many phone calls they're making, their sponsor, their food plan, um, you know, the, the, the phone calls. It was all about the tools, which is a non-spiritual basis. Another one is often they'll talk about their frustration because they've been in and out of program for decades and they keep relapsing. And I remember someone confronting me about this. You know, if the program is the 12 steps, what I had to admit to myself was I wasn't in that a program for decades. I was in and out of the fellowship for decades, and the fellowship is human aid. So I had to get to the fact that a non-spiritual basis is, uh, you know, going to OA as a diet program with group support. A non-spiritual basis is working the tools only. And if that works for you, my hat is off to you. But for a real compulsive overeater, an alcoholic of my type, that's going to be insufficient. So I need the spiritual solution. 
which means I personally, as a real compulsive overeater, I need to find people who have the same disease I do, even within Overeaters Anonymous. I need someone who has the problem has been solved. You know, it talks about in working with others that a fellowship grow up about us. Well, how is it going to grow up about us? I need to get into the middle of it. I need to seek out those people who are seeking a solution with a drowning woman the same way that I do. doesn't mean I'm not friendly to everybody in Overeaters Anonymous. But if someone can recover on a non-spiritual basis and that is not my reality, I could die trying to do that. I am a compulsive overeater who has the allergy, which means I am unable to drink moderately. I can't slip. I can't have sloppy food. I can't think because I got away with it that I'm going to be okay. I have to understand that the program that I need to work is the 12 steps. And I need to know that I need to be involved in the 12 steps on an ongoing basis. And I have to tell you, my personal experience, and again, I am gobsmacked at how many years in a 12-step program that I was suffering doing everything but the 12 steps, and not only that, but trying to do the 12 steps while drunk. I need to put the food down. I need to work the steps. And that is my solution as a real compulsive overeater. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Reva P. Your turn, followed by Larry Kay. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I love this paragraph. It's telling me more truth about my disease. And it's telling me I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat. And if I've been abstinent for a while, if I don't work the steps, I'm going to pick up. And that's the truth. And I love how somebody on this meeting described the insanity as doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I want to do. And I lived like that day in and day out, over and over and over. Um, And what's striking me the most is this business of a non-spiritual basis. And what does that look like within the program? You know, I can think if I just go to this meeting, if I just hang around these people, um, if I just follow this sheet, I'm going to be okay. Grabbing on to flimsy reads um, kind of thing. Um, and it can, it's like that with the food, and it's like that with everything. I have lost the ability to run on self-will with anything. Um, the food was like the tip of the iceberg. I can't just run out of self-will in my work because I make a mess. I can't run the show um, and function on a non-spiritual basis dealing with my children, with my husband, with people in my life because I make messes and I end up self-destructing. That's just what happens. Um, So this is telling me the truth. And the only way I see the truth and differentiate the truth from the false is by working the steps and clearing out my gook clearing out all those defects. Um, I can't see clearly, even in abstinence, if I'm totally blocked by defects. So this whole chapter is wonderful because it tells me that abstinent only is not going to be enough for somebody like me who's a real compulsive overeater because the main problem is my thinking. It's just totally twisted, and I can't untwist it. Um, I can't fix it, even though I think I'm pretty smart. I just can't. Um, And it's just another reminder, work the steps and let God do for me what I never can do for myself. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Larry K., followed by Melissa C. You're up, Larry. Hey, Amy. Good morning. Um, Larry K., uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Set my timer here, Amy. Okay, and go. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I would suggest um, to you that, that every single person on this line has the ability to stop eating for a time. Uh, temporarily, intermittently, on, on a non-spiritual basis. And, and we call that temporary method, at least I do, I call it a diet, and I'm good at diets. I've done them my whole life. I know lots of diets. And if you don't have this thing, this alcoholic mind, if you don't have this, the two precise elements of this disease, the allergy and the mental twist, um, you might just be able to stay stopped. And, and maybe there's 30, look around the room here, there might be about 30 people that they come every day, and holy crap, this stuff works, man. They just come on the line. They don't have to work steps. They may, but they don't have to, and they can stay stopped. It's a beautiful, lovely meeting. They come to listen, and, and they can stay stopped because they don't have the twofold nature of the disease. And if you're a real compulsive overeater, you know, I'm convinced to my core, to the very core of my being, that you will be unable to recover on a non-spiritual basis. And one of my favorite bits of, a, of, of, of suggestion or advice is, uh, is offered on page 98. It says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition that he, is that he trusts trust in God and clean house. And that admonition is not some passive thing that you just, you know, if you say it enough, you'll be sprinkled with pixie dust, you know. No, to have an effective spiritual transformation sufficient to drive out the obsession, you're going to have to do a few things. You're going to have to take some action. And how does one trust God? By cleaning house. How does one clean their house? By working the steps in sequence. And you're going to have to trust in a, in a process that you may not entirely believe in. I know I didn't. And that, my friends, takes courage. And we feel the fear, and we do it anyway. And there's two doors. The first door is disease. You can knock on that door. You know what's behind it. The second door is recovery through the implementation of these steps. And there is no third door. You know, and you don't need to have a, a, a nice bank account or a high IQ, or you could be from the right side of the tracks. None of those are requirements for getting in here. There's no, there's no qualifications, only a desire to stop eating compulsively. And if you do the deal, you'll get the deal, right? I'm grateful for it. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Melissa C., it is your turn, followed by Sandy S. Hi. Good morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, thank you for your service. Um, you know, so if I lost the power of choice, um, and, you know, and I knew that, and I know that in the times when I wanted, when I had the desire to stop and stay stopped, and I couldn't, you know, and, and then it becomes apparent, I lost the power of choice. And, you know, so then, um, then I need access to a power that, that can make that decision for me, you know, um, and that power for me can only be you know, found on a spiritual basis. Um, you know, like I have 
and I've had plenty of character and a tremendous need to stop. Like, I really, really needed to stop. I was seriously overweight, suffering physical consequences. I needed to stop, and I wanted to stop. I had that desire. You know, um, I really, really, really wanted to, like, more than anything. And character, necessity, and desire they don't produce the necessary psychic change. Like, I thought that they should, you know. And so I tried to do this program without the spiritual, which is laughable because um, there is no program that's not spiritual. This program is designed is so that we have a, a spiritual awakening. That's the point, you know. And so, um, you know, in my attempts to work a program, um that left out the spiritual, you know, I wound up taking what I wanted and leaving the rest. And, um, you know, and so, like, what did I take? Um, you know, not much. <laughs> uh, some comfort. You know, like, I got some comfort, which was really nice. And I got love, um, which also is really nice. Like, that's, I got the fellowship. I got comfort and love. Um, but love is not enough to get me to leave the food alone because, you know, I grew up with a lot of love. I'm very blessed. Love um, didn't get it. You know, I got a food plan, um, and I followed that, too, and it was convenient, you know. And so for someone like me, there's there's two choices. That's it. It's recover on a spiritual program of action, you know, or eat until oblivion. And any attempts I made to do this without the spiritual, you know, it left me stuck in that hole. I loved that story that I was told about the hole and um you know and so I'm the addict in the hole and if you give me just something without spiritual you're kind of throwing me a pillow and a blanket and making my hole comfortable I needed a (laughs) spiritual program of action and um and I needed to get out of the hole thank you with that I'll pass thank you Melissa C Sandy S you're up followed by Tina S Hi, this is Sandy S. from Florida and Asheville. Um, I had an interesting experience with my compulsive overeating because I was bulimic and like had it down to a science. I had no desire to stop. Um, and what happened to me was um, the amounts of food I was eating, I, I couldn't afford it. So I had to steal because I was totally deteriorated. I couldn't work. I lived with my parents. I was in my mid-20s. I had just gotten out of actually an Ivy League school. Pretty amazing. Uh, and I had no desire to stop. And then I got caught stealing. And uh, they were calling the police. And I said to them, wait, wait, you can't do this. I'm a psychologist. I mean, could you imagine that? And I started crying. And they let me go. And if I hadn't had that experience, I don't think I would have gone to OA. I knew about OA, but I thought that food was my God. I really did not believe there was anything else in the world that could soothe me like food soothed me. So I'm really grateful that I entered OA, not wanting to stop, but I had a spiritual experience. I mean, for me, it just came out of, actually, I've shared this before, someone in OA said to me, I said to them, why don't I feel anything? Why, like, don't I care about anyone or anything? And they said to me, that's because of the compulsive overeating. 
And then I had this experience where I was hugging this guy that I really liked, and I felt love. I actually felt of the light go from his heart to my heart. And I had this thought, wow, this is better than food. And from that moment on, I became abstinent. And, you know, it just, I never fought with a spiritual basis. I just knew that nothing could change me, not my will, not anyone else's will. And I had that experience. And since that moment, and it's been a long time, one day at a time, I will do anything, 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 anything to maintain that feeling of love. It was so much better than the self-hate that I felt my whole life and the total disconnect with other people. And now I will say at 70, this is the best time of my life because internally I'm experiencing more ease than I've ever experienced. And that's coming about due to a higher power. It is not something I can do on my own. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sandy S. Tina S., it's your turn. Thanks so much, Amy, for your service. Uh, Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great stuff again this morning, you know. I love that it's talked about, you know, um, you know whether we had a desire to stop and that whether we can quit on a non-spiritual basis, you know. And, you know, one of the things, and I was just at a meeting last night and I share this, and I share this often. You know, I didn't come here to get spiritual. I did not. I came here so the crap would quit happening, you know. And so what had to happen was a change in me, duh, you know, a psychic change so that I would change my behaviors and my attitudes and all that kind of stuff. And, and the only solution I have ever found was in the rooms and, you know, and a spiritual solution. You know, I love that it talks about in the big book. You know, we had two choices, you know, to accept spiritual help or to go on to the bitter end. What was our choice to be? It took me many years to make that choice because I thought uh, somehow, some way, someday, Tina can do it on her own. And then I was beaten to a state of reasonableness. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And, you know, and I say this mostly for me. You know, because it was said to me, you know, I can admit and accept that I am powerless over food and alcohol and that my life is unmanageable all I want. If I'm not willing to take the actions, which is 2 through 12, I will still be just powerless and unmanageable. And I won't have a solution to live free one day at a time. So for me today, you know, I'm going to put my, my reliance and trust in a power greater than myself so that I could get something different than I ever got when I was relying on myself. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Okay, so we are going to take some more shares. Uh, just to remind everyone, we are on page 34, the second paragraph, just sharing on that paragraph for those who are unable to drink moderately. So I have already Barbara E. online. Who else would like to share? Harlan G. I think I heard Harlan G. and there was someone else. Leah M. Monica. Leah M. Cynthia C. Monica. Lauren M. Monica T. Cynthia. Cynthia, I didn't get your last initial. I think it's Cynthia C. Lauren N. Um, I heard someone before you, Lauren. Who was that? John L. John L. Okay. We're going to hold with those uh, six, please. Barbara E., Harlan G., Leah M., Monica T., Cynthia C., John L. 
Okay, Barbara E., you are up, please. Okay, hi, everyone. It's Barbara E. in New Jersey. This is good stuff. I had to first ask myself, am I really willing to be done with it? For step one to happen, I had to be really done. I had to be desperate. I had to be smashed. I had to be broken totally. All my life, food had dominated my thinking. I was a chubby child and a chubby teenager, but I was not ready to be done. Two decades later, two decades later, I was still not done. I had gone to so many pay-for-play programs, and I have a PhD in dieting. I could diet myself in and then gain it all back in a nanosecond without even taking the labels and tags off the clothes. I had 12 sizes in my closet. Yes, it worked for a while, but if I still dabbled in the food, I would always have a serious relapse. Finally, I came into OA. I didn't understand it at all. They were reading the big book. What did that have to do with me? I heard that sponsors were available, and I took a person who who seemed kind and willing and ready to take on a hopeless case like myself. And I slowly, slowly began to recover. But I can't predict when that craving will come back. I can't predict the outcome if if I go and allow my crazy, sick thinking to pick up the food, ignite the allergy, Spark the spark the the craving again, and then I'm off on a spree, and it's followed by remorse, such remorse that the only thing that will calm me down is to eat again. So I really, really knew that I needed some kind of spiritual makeover. I needed to work the steps. I needed to find something that would help me to relieve it. And I am such a work in progress. I counted on Tuesday. Today is Wednesday. I counted on Tuesday 18 liabilities of character that popped up on Monday, all regarding my family at home. As Desi said to Lucy, you've got a lot of explaining to do. And I do. I can stay abstinent, but can I recover and be a kinder, gentler, more tolerant person. That is my goal from day to day. I got so much more by being in this program. The promises do come true for me, and sometimes slowly and sometimes quickly. But I'm willing to come back every day and work like my hair is on fire. And thank you, God, I have been abstinent for two decades now, but I want more than abstinence. I want to be a tolerant, kind, loving, honest, accepting, non-frightened person. So I have to work with others, listen to you, and be thankful every single day, even if it is snowing in New Jersey. I have a roof over my head, and I have a wonderful group of fellows all ready to jump in and share. So I bless you all and a pass.
Thank you, Barbara E. Harlan G., followed by Leah M. Go ahead, Harlan. Thank you very much, Amy, and thank you to Team Wednesday for making this meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it will be in the low 80s today, high 70s. Um, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. That's a question that no one answered for me. You see, a lot of people gave me advice from the time I was four, five, three years old, whatever it was. They told me things that were 100% true. They said to me, don't eat so much, you'll feel better. Wow, when I didn't eat so much, I felt anger better, I felt fear better, I felt like killing myself better, I felt lots of things better and those feelings would burst to the surface like Roman candles inside my heart and my soul. And the only thing I knew to do was to eat Oreo cookies or Kit Kat bars to quash that feeling. I desired to stop. I never wanted anything more. I hear people say all the time, food is my drug of choice. Food is my drug of no choice. If food was my drug of choice, I would have chosen to give it up when I was four years old. Food is my drug of no choice. I have character. I think I do anyway. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, but I found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of my compulsive overeating. I have an utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I could not get out of my own way. I never wanted anything more than to be thin. I have one way of getting out of this juggernaut, and that is to work the steps. I get calls from people who save my life, and those calls come from people. I get them every week, almost every day, from people, sometimes in tears, that cannot, I'm not a big believer in can't, I'm a believer in will and won't, I cannot give up the food, I cannot stop eating. And when I suggest to them that they work the steps and work them quickly, they tell me they already are working the steps. Some of them tell me they're already on step nine. Some of them already tell me they're on step four, but they're eating and they're eating their heads off. Dr. Silkworth is very, very clear. In order for me to work the steps and have a spiritual awakening, I must put the food down. I am powerless, but I am not helpless. I can put the food down if I want to, and I'm willing to seek help, and then I must work the steps. Not I should work them, not I might work them, I must work them, or the food will be back in my mouth before you can say Kit Kat bar. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. Leah M., your turn, followed by Monica T. Thank you very much. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Oh, this disease came upon me as a very, very young child, and it just wrapped the noose around my neck tighter and tighter uh, year in and year out. 
I had the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I had the, I had the necessity. I had the medical consequences. I was obese. I had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, shortness of breath. Um, you know, as a as a young woman, I I had the suffering. I had the mental torture, the daily torture, the emotional turmoil, the isolation that I experienced, the suicidal thinking, the deep depression. I just wanted to rip out of my skin and run somewhere. But you know what? Wherever I went, there I was. I took myself with me. I had the wish. I had the wish. I would cry real tears at night. I'd lay my head on the pillow. What is wrong with me? Why do I eat like this? Why has this been happening since I was four and six? and 8 and 10 and 12 and 15 and 19 when I graced the doors of my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. Why does this keep happening? I'm not stupid. I'm pretty bright. I have a great memory. Uh, You know, got into an Ivy League school, work hard. I'm determined. When I said I wasn't going to eat like that, act like that anymore, lie like that anymore, I really, really, really meant it. And then I ate again and again and again and again. You know, it was that I had a defective mind. It would just hijack me. I have a mind which would take me back to that which was killing me. The mental obsession would take possession of me without my consciousness and without my permission. All of a sudden, I'd be half, you know, halfway through a loaf of bread. <laughs> you know, I had thought I was making a decision and merely choosing to change my mind. Like, I'll just have one and then I'll start again tomorrow. But, you know, as this disease continued to to beat me to a pulp, I began to realize the truth. I was not changing my mind. I was compelled to pick up that first bite beyond my ability to control it. You know, the big book teaches me that I'm unable at certain times to bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a day ago, and that is exactly what I was experiencing. I had no defense against the first bite, and it wasn't that defense wasn't going to come from a physical realm, a human realm, a material realm. It had to come from the world of the spirit, and unless I made that decision and took action, that admission of powerlessness was going to remain superficial and short-lived. Thank God God came through my wounds, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah. I still had you 24 seconds. <laughs> Monica T., it is your turn, followed by Cynthia T. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. Oh, my God, what can I say after these two shares before me? Wow. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Why, why, why? We're in the chapter more about alcoholism. What is this whole chapter about? It's about my mind. It's about the mental obsession. They're going to tell me and show me in stories how my crazy mind thinks. My mind does not think straight. I have an inability to think straight when it comes to food. And I am screwed. My sick mind is not going to heal my sick mind. You know, and I spent years and decades also. Why? Why can't I stop this? How did I get here again? I just got done saying 10 minutes ago, I'm going to be good today. I'm going to follow my food plan today. I'm not going to binge today. But here I am, halfway through a sleeve of something. Why? What is wrong with me? 
I'm a smart, intelligent woman. I've been successful to everything else I've wanted to do in my life. Except I'm fat. Why? Well, the big book is teaching us here in this chapter. Why? It's because I have a disease with a twofold part. Physical allergy. I can't eat certain foods. They make me crave more. And I have a mind that gales me that it's okay to pick it up again. It's just the best idea you've had in a long time, Monica. It'll be okay. It'll be different this time. How, how do I fight that? How do I fight this confusing, frustrating, defeating, baffling feature of alcoholism? Because my mind tells me lies that I believe every single time, and I don't have any memory of the consequences or the resolutions I have made. You know, I continue to do day after day. I continue to do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. Can you see? Either way, I'm totally screwed. I can't even trust my own mind. So what, what, what's going to happen? What, 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 what will work? And like you've been hearing, the only thing that worked for me was to work these steps in order and get a spiritual awakening as a result of cleaning my house and doing this work. What is this spiritual awakening? It's a change in my thinking. God came in and changed my thinking. He relieves me of the obsession that stupid lies and lack of memory daily if I do this work daily. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T., Cynthia C., followed by John L. Um, this is Cynthia C. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you for everybody on this line. I am so grateful each day I get to come on to this meeting. I am so incredibly grateful because there's so much groundedness and recovery um, that you know this is one of the this is one of the ways that that I learned to fill my cup on a daily basis. Um, before I came into program. All I could think about was the food or exercise or, or whatever my drug of choice or, or not choice, as Simon said, was. Um, how do I fill up that hole inside me? I always felt like I had this wounded space inside. And, um, you know, and the food seemed, I, I thought for a while that the food seemed to have done it. The food is what I learned to fill my hole, that, that hole up, that painful, that wounded space up with as a child that was food was a communal eating to, to make us, you know, my family. Um, and I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family that was, we all ate together to make ourselves feel better, to placate ourselves. Um, you know, and there became a time in my adult life where I just, uh, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, I wanted to stop, you know, I did diet after diet, all sorts of different diets and different food plans. I exercised a ton. I all of these things and nothing, nothing worked. I, I just, I love this line, the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Um, you know, I had three and a half years of abstinence, went out and spent at least 14 years of that time during my relapse in Weight Watchers, just not understanding why I couldn't get it. And what was worse 
is that I was lying to myself because I knew I could never get it. I knew that Weight Watchers, that a diet plan was never going to help. It was never going to work. And until I hit my bottom and I just found myself praying, I was so sick of having food hidden all over the place. I was sick of, so sick and tired of, of my crazy behaviors and feeling depressed and feeling miserable and uh, just, yeah, just not being the mother or the wife or the friend or anything that I wanted to be. I was an emotional upheaval. You know, my life was unmanageable. And when I finally was able to just pray and say to God, I just, I can't do this anymore. What do I do? And, you know, the message that I got was very clear was Overeaters Anonymous. And the first meeting I went back to after 20 years of relapse, I cried and I cried and I cried. And I just felt like I am home. And when I bring, when I bring my higher power into my life, that hole that I feel, that wounded space, I finally realized, like I finally really got it, that wounded space Time. can't be filled with food. It can only be filled with my higher power and program. Um, and that's because, because my higher power created that space. And that is my connection to my higher power. And with that, I'll pass. And the promises do come true for everybody struggling out there. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, Cynthia. John L., you are up. And it's your turn. Oh, thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is John L. I'm a recovering uh, compulsive overeater in Arizona. And anyway, reading the um, the paragraph today, uh, I'd just like to share my own experience uh, from when I went from thinking control and dieting was my problem to what the real problem was. Uh, when I was like, oh, six or seven years old, I remember my mom book, uh, cooked a cake one night and I got up early the next day, and I ate every bit of it except for two pieces. Of course, I was sick the rest of that day, and my mom was very disgusted, but I had no clue why I did that, what it was. You know, I just liked it, and I did it. And then as I got a few years older, I got a paper route, and I had money, and I went to school, and I was always the kid with the candy. And by the time I got to sixth grade, I went from a skinny kid to a chubby kid. Uh, I went in and got to um, high school. I played uh, football, and I started chewing tobacco using nicotine. Um, But I didn't have a problem. It's like my food uh, addiction was, was not active at that time. But when I got to 24 years old, I decided, you know what, this this chewing tobacco is gross. The women don't like it, and I'm going to quit it, and I did. And guess what happened to me? I started buying ice cream by the half gallon and consuming it the same way. And my food addiction was right back there, and I was using it. So then what do I do? I go these diet things, and I lose the weight, get to my goal weight, and woohoo. Time to celebrate. I did it. I'm cured. Off I went, and on came the pounds again. And then what happened was several years later, I found my, myself in this expensive commercial weight loss program, and I go in where they give you these little pizzas and all this other stuff, and I lose all this weight, and it's great, and they're all happy with me, and this is wonderful. 
And then I go on a trip and I come back and I put all my weight back on and I lose it again and, and get in there. And then something weird happened. I just started gaining it again. And those counselor people were so disgusted in with me. And I started to realize, you know, most of the people that come in here are these ladies that were pregnant and they had their baby and they want to get the weight off and they do and they're gone. But with me, there's something much bigger at play here. And I cannot do this. And this dieting stuff is not working for me. And I realized that, you know, I, I have to, you know, find or work something else. Thank God I found Overeaters Anonymous. It's like a, a food, okay, it's like a food addiction, and I'm using it as a drug, and I just hate to think what life would be like without Overeaters Anonymous. Thank you, not pass. Thank you, John. Lauren, and we have time for one more share. I know I missed you in the last group. Would you like to wrap it up if you're out there, Lauren? I'll take her place. Is this Lauren? No, it's Vasa. Okay, I guess Lauren. Sorry, Lauren, I meant to tell you that. I didn't mean to throw that out at you, but I thought I would just give it a chance. All right, Vasa, oh, please take Thank a step. You. Thank you, Amy, so much for your service, and good morning, everyone. Vasa, grateful recover compulsive of Eda Crown from Florida. And everyone said what I wanted to say. This is a wonderful, beautiful meeting this morning. I've enjoyed everybody's shares, and... And uh, I was a functional person in many, many, many ways. But when it came to the food, I just could not do it. By the time I came to my first meeting, there was nothing more that I wanted than to lose my weight. And I questioned myself all those years, 25 years I was into it, why I can't do it, why why do I always pick it up? I probably was a compulsive overeater born, but my addiction didn't blossom until we came in America. We discovered all these wonderful foods that we have. And so my addiction lasted from 15 years to the food, from 15 to, 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 41, years old, to 41 years old. It's not like I didn't try to put it down, but my mental obsession always Went back to it. I tried to. I would try to diet, and I said, "Okay, now you can go back and have a little more, a little bit. Try." And it, I, I would always go back into it. And um, happy time in my own home was. We all struggled with a food addiction when we sat around and ate food, you know. But I ate over anything. I could have been happy, sad, angry. Whatever, I ate over everything, and uh, it's by the grace of God I was led into over it as anonymous. I had no clue with the disease. I learned about allergies, and I found it right here. You know, in the doctor's opinion, the 12 steps says work the 12 steps. I was ready to surrender. Step one, two, and three, I did them all at once. God, I can't do it. You can do it. I'll let you do it. Whoever you're out there, please help me. And that's the, you know, I had the spiritual experience right then, and I've had many spiritual awakenings as a result of working the steps. This program, it's a miracle. It works. If it works for me, it can work for anybody, but we have to work it. 
Thank you for letting me share that path. Amy, star one to unmute. Oh, I beg your pardon. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you, everyone, who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following. The share idea ID the share ID for today's meeting is March for March seventh is eleven thousand one thirty one. That's one 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 three one. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page one sixty four, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Rachel and M, could you please take us out with a vision for you? Yes, thanks, Amy, for your service. This is Rachel and M. I'm a thankful recovered compulsive reader and anorexic. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.